All right. Well, as has been said several times, we are in the season of Advent. And I like to think of the season as a countdown, quite frankly, um, in December of the 25 days up to Christmas. And doesn't everybody love a good countdown? I mean, just hearing the numbers, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then a rocket should launch or something, right? Or fireworks should go off or a ball should drop in Times Square. Uh, just the countdown are built to add to our excitement and anticipation, and Advent is no different. Um, in fact, when the Feenstras lit this candle, maybe you'll notice there's five right here, and between now and the moment on Christmas Eve when we light the, the middle fifth one to signal Christ's presence in our midst, I would encourage you to let your excitement grow, and if you have a kid, even count five, four, Three, two, Jesus, right? Um, in the messages this Advent, we're going to do a countdown of some different sorts, which are uh, what I like to call the top five Bible songs of Christmas. Now, if you're as old as me, you can remember when there used to be like a top 40 countdown on the radio every single week, and literally I would spend my allowance money based on that countdown, what Dick Clark said on like Saturday morning when I listen to that countdown. But the Bible has not just words, um, not just facts, not just history, but there's quite a few songs, especially sprinkled around the time when Jesus is born. There's a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings. There's a song that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings. There's the song of Isaiah the prophet that looks forward to the coming Messiah. There's the song that the angels sing over Bethlehem. And there's a song that a priest named Simeon sings at the temple in Jerusalem when he meets baby Jesus face to face for the first time. And you, may, you might be like, I don't know the words to any of those songs. I don't know the music to any of those songs. Well, rest assured, the words are in the scriptures. God gave us the lyrics, but not the tunes. You with me? But when there's a good song, what is meant to happen is that everybody sort of catches the spirit and joins in. I mean, that's what a good song does. Um, again, showing my age a little bit, um, I would notice that over the course of my lifetime, American people sing less and less. Like, if you take out a guitar at a campfire and start playing country roads, people may or may not sing with you. I mean, Christians sing a lot, so we have, like, a lot of songs um, in, our, in our mental memory. But if you go to other places, there's actually a commercial on TV right now during sporting events. Um, it's for a beer company, but there's a guy who takes out a ukulele and he starts strumming, and around the campfire, like his friends are looking at their phones and stuff, and they give this guy absolutely like the stink eye, like, what a jerk. Who would play a ukulele at a campfire? And then the camera pans out, and there's some like state park worker who's like, hey, don't be that guy. The camera pans out even further, and there's a boat, and there's people on the boat who are like, make him stop. 
And then the guy's friend sitting right next to him in a campfire, like, takes him by the hand, forces him to stop playing his ukulele, and is like, bro, no. And the message is like, friends don't let friends play music. Instead, look at your phone and drink beer. I hate this commercial. Like, with a, with a passion, I <laughs> hate this commercial. Because as it turns out, when human beings sing and dance, and we see this in little kids, we are actually happier. It is hard to remain, like, not joyful or feel a little spark of hope or optimism if you lift up your voice and sing or if you let yourself move or dance or clap a little bit. And again, my observation is, as someone who's been trying to help people sing together in church for all these decades, there are way more hurdles in our life now in 2023 than there were 20 years ago or 30 years ago. What is going on with us? We have just become so cool and so cynical and have this corner of our mind where we're like, hey, just let the performers do it. And maybe if you're at like a Taylor Swift concert, great, she knows all the songs. But even there, like that's one of the miracles, like all these girls sing along with Taylor Swift, right? Because they love these songs. But then we come to church and we're kind of like, oh, I might be too cool for this. What if the people next to me seeing me like really clapping and getting into a song about God? Do we do that anymore? Yes, we do that. We do that. And one of the reasons is because God built it into the fabric of our nature. And one of the reasons is this book, the scriptures, are filled with songs. 150 psalms. Again, God gave us the words but not the music that are meant to be sung and sung and sung again. And at least around Christmas, five different songs. Like God wants us to sing and participate. By the way, the number one song, if you are going to play around a campfire these days that people under 40 can sing together? Any guesses what it is? This makes me so sad. SpongeBob. I mean, that would probably work, but it's over in like 20 seconds. Uh, the song Wagon Wheel by Darius Rucker. Rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. This is who we are as Americans, okay? <laughs> Do we need Jesus? Yes, <laughs> in every part of our life, even our musical lives. So, the first song of Christmas comes out of the mouth of Mary of Nazareth. I'm sure that Mary, before she was visited by an angel, was like all of us, had a long list of hopes and dreams, wishes, preferences for how her life could go. She was probably looking forward to marrying her fiancé, Joseph, this is 2,000 years ago, right? Settling down near their parents. Mary probably dreamt of a cozy home, maybe that Joseph even built, raising a lively batch of kids. No doubt Mary would have hoped for, like, less of the influence of the Roman Empire, more of the influence of Israel and a return to glory. But Mary's vision of her future was radically interrupted by an actual angel, who showed up to share glad tidings that she would become pregnant apart from Joseph, her fiancé, and give birth to the Son of God. Now, Mary was bright enough, clear-headed enough, and strong enough to have questions about this. Like, angel, how is this going to happen for me? And she was also receptive enough to take comfort in the angel's explanation and insurance. Luke 1.35, the angel says to Mary, 
if you would read these words with me. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Notice that the angel does not say, the Holy Spirit is going to make all of your princess dreams come true, Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to make everything go smoothly for you, Mary. No, the angel says the Holy Spirit and the power of God are going to overshadow you, overwhelm you, if I can put it that way, to change your life and change the world. Does anybody want that for Christmas? For God to overshadow them? You personally, this church? For God to overwhelm us with his spirit even if it puts us in as awkward position as Mary, that God is doing something new and what is going on as God is turning the world upside down. Having heard about this, Mary, from the depth of her being, says yes to God. And from that place of hearing God, of having some questions, but being reassured and filled with confidence Mary says yes, and then what comes out of Mary's mouth next is poetry and singing. If you would listen to this part of the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. It's an amazing song. It's a deep song. It's a little bit of a curious song. Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. When she says this, she is not just signing up for what she thought would be the plan, that she would be an unwed single mother. She was signing up to be the first recruit in God's revolution that is meant to turn this world upside down. That's why I love to sing the song that we sang during the offering today, because this is what Christmas is all about. Not the trees. Not the lights, not the candles, as lovely as it all is, not the warmth around the fireplace, not even the trying to choose the perfect gift. Christmas is about God's intention to turn this planet upside down through Jesus, and Mary knew it right from the jump. Mary is so much more than just a willing womb who is willing to receive the God child. It turns out that Mary is exactly the kind of person that God is always looking for, a real disciple, if I can put it that way. In fact, it would make the case that the Bible teaches us that Mary is really Jesus' first disciple as his mother, the type of person who is able to hear the word of the Lord when it's spoken, the type of person who's able to then receive it 
on a deeper level and a person who is willing to let that word be planted in their heart of hearts as a seed and then again and again says to God, yes, God, yes to what you're asking, yes to your agenda, yes to what you're trying to do. When Mary sings the first song of Christmas, my soul magnifies the Lord despite the hardship and the troubles that were inevitably in store for her, despite the fact that she didn't even know if Joseph was going to stand by and still be her man, she starts singing. Like what hope, what joy, what trust in God that drives her to sing in a moment like this. Want to notice just a few little things about Mary's song. The first part is deeply personal. Mary starts her song on this just between her and God kind of level. My soul glorifies the Lord, Mary sings. My soul rejoices in God my Savior. She could not be more joyful than to be incorporated by God in God's radical, revolutionary schemes for this planet. But the second half of Mary's song is about everybody else, all the rest of us, and the implications of what is going to happen uh, through the son that she will bear nine months in the future. I'm going to put a few verses up here. Luke 1:52, part of Mary's song, is she says this about the world, about God, what he's going to do. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And then the second half of this little verse of song but he has lifted up the humble. Now, Mary is not only a singer, she is a poet in a Middle Eastern tradition that loves more than anything not to rhyme words, but to rhyme ideas. And the most common thing in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and in Mary's song is to contrast things. So Mary says, God brings the high and mighty back down to the level. But what does God do to the downtrodden and the oppressed? He brings them up. Does Jesus do this in his life? The next stanza of Mary's song says this, He fills the hungry with good things. The second half, But he has sent the rich away empty. According to Mary's song, is it better to be hungry or to be rich? I say this to a room full of the richest 1% of people on planet Earth right now, right? According to Mary and according to Jesus' way of looking at the world, this is not about money as it turns out, it's better to be hungry, physically hungry and hungry for the things of God than to think that you can meet all of your own needs in life and to be out of touch with God, who can only provide for your daily bread, yes, for your bank account, yes, but also for your eternal needs, yes. Do you see the pattern in Mary's song? Not this, but that. That, but not this. Here's the next stanza in her song. He has helped his servant Israel. Now, what do you think the next line of Mary's song would be? Please don't put it up yet. If he's helping Israel, what is God going to do to those who are not Israel? Wipe them out, right? Wouldn't that be the expectation? God helps Israel, lifts them up, but Rome, they're strong. 
push them down. Here's actually the next line of her song. God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. Mary is such a clever singer and brilliant poet that she does all these contrasts. Hungry, rich, mighty, powerless. God shows mercy, and then as it turns out that God wants to show mercy to everybody who could be adopted into the family of God so that it's just mercy and then more mercy. Love for God's people and then more love. Nobody who first heard this song would have seen this coming. They'd be like, wait, God and the Messiah are supposed to be like flipping this upside down, right? So if there's a Roman, if there's an Arab, if there's a Palestinian, if there's a barbarian from Europe, if there's somebody from some corner of the world that we don't even know about, yes, Mary's song would say, yes, yes, the Messiah is coming to show mercy to them too and adopt even all these people from far-flung other places into Abraham's family so that we're all in this together. Uh, like, that's a lot to cram in a little song. Mary was likely a teenager and this is what erupted from the depths of her spirit. Not just a catchy tune, but something that deeply is about the heart and the truth and the understanding of God. So all these years later, I hope this sounds like good news to you, because like all of us, like we're not from Bethlehem, we're not from Nazareth, we're all the outsiders who, because of what Mary said yes to, have the opportunity to be part of the family too to be in the long line of disciples that Mary started of people who hear God, who take in the word, and then say, yes, yes, yes. How should a person, how could a person respond to a song like that? How could a person, how should a person respond to, like, soul music like that? How could a person, how should a person respond to like glad tidings of great joy, the good news of gospel, when you really hear it? Anybody want to sing or, or dance or like have a little part of your spirit that's like, I can't believe it, God, you're including me? Um, hey, could you put this little TikTok up but without the audio? Um, here's an example of a kid who is just uninhibited. I love that we had so many kids here today. Uh, they're so much freer and have so many less, I don't know, inhibitions and worried about the cool factor. Like this is at a dance program and all of the kids are dancing, right? But this one kid is like, I can't even believe that I've been invited to participate in this dance program. Is he worried about what his neighbors are thinking? Is he worried about that the other kids don't even know the dance moves? <laughs> this kid is inspirational to me. Keep, like, keep running it. It goes on for like three minutes. All right? This kid, I would humbly submit to you, is a holy example of what would please God of how we could, from our heart of hearts, react to the good news and glad tidings of great joy. Now, we're not all going to become dancers. Like, I totally get it. But when there's an opportunity to participate, whether it's singing, whether it's with spiritual intensity, 
God is honored. God is worshiped. God is blessed when we say, yes, 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 I will make a fool of myself. I will be even more undignified than this. Can you imagine your soul saying yes to God like this kid said yes to his dance program? Amen? All right. Last tiny little thought. Lest I give you the impression that God's plans to revolutionize the world somehow depend on us or our enthusiasm or responsiveness. God treasures that. God desires that. God wills that for all of us. No doubt about it. But the reason that this is all possible even is because God is strong enough and mighty enough to purpose it all. And what really counts at the end of the day is not the quality of our song, the beauty of our voices, the volume of our singing, literally or metaphorically, but the fact that God has taken the first step and chosen to sing over us. Do you know the scripture literally says that in the prophet Zephaniah, that God rejoices over his people with singing? The reason we even have a voice or can sing at all is merely that we echo and sing back to our beloved God what he has already put into existence. Rest assured that Christmas does not depend on us. It depends on Jesus. But in God's huge heart of love, it pleases him when we say yes, yes, yes. God is inviting us to the manger, to the stable, and here in this worship service this morning, God is inviting us to this table. And rest assured that even today, God will be blessed when we receive what he gives us and we say from our heart of hearts, thank you, yes, bless you, I worship you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for coming near to us in Jesus, for giving us everything we truly need, and now as we come to your table, we come with small, open hands to receive the gifts that you have for us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.